You're listening to a sermon from the Langley Canadian Reformed Church. We hope you'll find it to be spiritually edifying. Let us open our Bibles together this afternoon. We turn first of all to the Acts of the Apostles, chapter 16, the verses 12 to 16. From there we travel to Philippi, a Roman colony and the leading city of that district of Macedonia. And we stayed there several days. On the Sabbath we went outside the city gate to the river where we expected to find a place of prayer. We sat down and began to speak to the women who had gathered there. One of those listening was a woman named Lydia, a dealer in purple cloth from the city of Thyatira, who was a worshiper of God. The Lord opened her heart to respond to Paul's message. When she and the family or the members of her household were baptized, she invited us to her home. If you consider me a believer in the Lord, she said, come and stay at my house. And she persuaded us. Once when we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a slave girl who had a spirit by which she predicted the future. She earned a great deal of money for her owners by fortune-telling. Then we turn to Romans chapter 8. Therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, because through Christ Jesus the law of the Spirit of life set me free from the law of sin and death. For what the law was powerless to do in that it was weakened by the sinful nature, God did by sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful man to be a sin offering. And so he condemns sin and sinful man in order that the righteous requirements of the law might be fully met in us, who do not live according to the sinful nature, but according to the Spirit. Those who live according to the sinful nature have their minds set on what that nature desires, but those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. The mind of sinful man is death, but the mind controlled by the Spirit is life and peace. The sinful mind is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. Those controlled by the sinful nature cannot please God. You, however, are controlled not by the sinful nature, but by the Spirit, if the Spirit of God lives in you. And if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to Christ. But if Christ is in you, your body is dead because of sin, yet your spirit is alive because of righteousness. And if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who lives in you. Therefore, brothers, we have an obligation, but it is not to the sinful nature to live according to it, For if you live according to the sinful nature, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. Because those who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive a spirit that makes you a slave again to fear, but you received the spirit of sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children Now, if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we share in his sufferings in order 
that we may also share in His glory. I preach to you this afternoon from the Word of our God as the church confesses that in Lord's Day 26 and the first part of Lord's Day 27. We begin Lord's Day 26 at question and answer 70. And we go to question and answer 73 of Lord's Day 27. So beginning then at Lord's Day 26, question and answer 70, what does it mean to be washed with Christ's blood and spirit? To be washed with Christ's blood means to receive forgiveness of sins from God through grace because of Christ's blood poured out for us in his sacrifice on the cross. To be washed with his spirit means to be renewed by the Holy Spirit and sanctified to be members of Christ so that more and more we become dead to sin and lead a holy and blameless life. There is Christ's promise that he will wash us with his blood and spirit as surely as we are washed with the water of baptism in the institution of baptism where he says, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. He who believes and is baptized will be saved, but he who does not believe will be condemned. This promise is repeated where Scripture calls baptism the washing of regeneration and the washing away of sins. Does this outward washing of water itself wash away sins? No, only the blood of Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit cleanse us from all sins. Why then does the Holy Spirit call baptism the washing of regeneration and the washing away of sins? God speaks in this way for a good reason. He wants to teach us that the blood and Spirit of Christ remove our sins just as water takes away dirt from the body. But even more important, he wants to assure us by this divine pledge and sign that we are as truly cleansed from our sins spiritually as we are bodily washed with water. Love congregation of our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ, when you think of baptism, what do you think of? Do you think of water perhaps being sprinkled, or do you think of people, parents, bringing a newborn child into the church? Or do you think of controversies like baptismal regeneration or the infant versus adult baptism controversy? I suspect that the word baptism conjures up many images as well as issues in our minds. But then we also need to ask ourselves, which one of those images is the most fitting and the most accurate? When we think of baptism, what really should we be thinking of more than anything else? You know, a closer look at the questions and answers of the Heidelberg Catechism that we have just read together give us a fairly clear answer. For more than anything else, it tells us and reminds us that baptism is first and foremost about Christ. If you notice, directly and indirectly, he has mentioned ten times in the question 70 to 73. And that surely means that Christ is paramount here. But then, beloved, if Christ stands front and center here, someone else is not very far behind, namely the Holy Spirit. For in these same questions and answers, the Holy Spirit is mentioned 
seven times. And so the result is that when we think of baptism, we should not be thinking in the first place of water, parents, or even controversies. No more than anything else, when we think of baptism, we should first be thinking of persons, divine persons. Baptism should immediately make us think of the work of God the Son and the work of God the Holy Spirit. They should be front and center here. In other words, beloved, contrary to popular opinion, baptism is not in the first place about us. That's what we so often do with the gospel, you may have noticed. We we make it a matter of us. And we think that it all revolves around us, around our deeds, our faith, our commitment, our persons. But that's not true. Baptism is first of all about God. Specifically, it's about the persons and the work of God the Son and God the Holy Spirit. But then, beloved, if baptism is about the Son and the Spirit, in what way is it about their person and work? What are they doing in and through baptism? What is it that baptism symbolizes and depicts for us? What are they working on and what are they trying to achieve and what's their goal? Well, beloved, also in that, the catechism gives us an answer in these questions and answers. For not only do you find in these questions and answers that Christ is mentioned ten times, the Spirit seven times, but washing or the cleansing of sin is directly and indirectly mentioned ten times as well. And so, beloved, if you take the most commonly used words and expressions here in this part of the catechism, you come up with this afternoon's sermon and its structure, God makes us clean. Baptism as washing or cleansing sacrament. And we shall see that it's the blood of Christ that purifies us. It's the spirit of Christ that renews us. It's the promise of Christ that supports us. Well, beloved, in some ways, these Lord's Days of the Catechism are all but dirt and being dirty. And I think we all know something about dirt. Why not so long ago, I I was reminded of that when as a bemused grandfather, I saw two of my grandsons playing in a very large puddle. And the water was flying everywhere, and so was the dirt. They were covered from head to toe. And they need to be stripped and hosed down and bathed and dressed all over again. Dirt had done them in. And the same goes, beloved, for all of us. Some of you have dirty jobs that soil your clothes and stink up your bodies with the result that when you get home you need to take a good soaking. Or if you have a clean job, it may be that you come home and you have some things that need to be done around the house that turn you into a mess in no time at all. And so it is that we all, young and old, parents, children, workers, 
Well, something about dirt. We know what it is. We know what it does. Yes, and beloved, if you look at the Scriptures, you'll find the Bible knows something about dirt as well. Only when it dwells on that particular subject, it goes a lot deeper. For it does more than simply look behind our ears or examine our hands or inspect our clothes or our fingernails. No, when it comes to dirt, it examines both the outside but especially the inside. And indeed it concentrates more on the inside than on the outside. I think we people are the other way around. As long as we look good... We must be good. For us, externals and appearances are everything. But not for the catechism as it passes on biblical truth. It insists that the dirt on the inside is much more damaging than the dirt on the outside. Its concern is not so much what lives on us as with what lives in us. Its focus is, as answer 69 of the Catechism reminds us, on the impurity of my soul. Oh, and if you want proof of that, beloved, you need only turn to any number of Scripture passages. Take, for example, Romans 4, where the Apostle Paul quotes from Psalm 14 to the effect that there is none righteous, no, not one. There is no one who understands, no one who seeks for God. And what about Isaiah 64, verse 6, which says that all of us have become like one who is unclean, and all of our righteous deeds are like filthy rags. And so we could go on and on. In Scripture, there is ample proof that thanks to our fall in Adam, we are polluted, stained, dirtied by sin on the inside. And that really what we need is a thorough scrubbing of our hearts and our minds and our souls. That's what we need. And you can say that's also the need that God now meets here in Christ. And the fact that he meets it is conveyed to us most clearly and emphatically in this sacrament of holy baptism. Take, for example, in Acts 22, verse 16, which we should have been reading, by the way, instead of Acts 16. But in Acts 22, Paul recounts Ananias as saying to him, And now, what are you waiting for? Get up, be baptized, and wash your sins away, calling on his name. In Ephesians 5, the verses 25 and 26, we are told that Christ loved the church, gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word. And furthermore, in Hebrews 10.22, we are urged to draw near to God, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from an evil conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. 
Beloved, in all of those passages, it should be very obvious that, that baptism is portrayed as a cleansing rite or ritual. It's a sign and a seal of our spiritual cleansing. But at the same time, it can also be said that it's more. For not only do we need to see baptism as a cleansing rite, we also need to ask about the actual agent of cleansing. What is it that makes us clean on the inside? We sometimes know what it is that makes us clean on the outside, whether it's Tide or zest or ivory soap or some other kind of detergent. But what is it that makes us clean and cleansed on the inside? Well, the answer, beloved, has to do with water, but more than water. There's no magical power, as the catechism says, in the water that's used, but it's in what the water points to. What does the water represent? When you see a baby being sprinkled with water, when you see that water, what should you really be thinking of? You should be thinking of blood. Don't you recall how in the Old Testament blood was a cleansing agent? How did a leper in Israel achieve rich racial or ritual purity. It was by having blood sprinkled on him. And how did the priest cleanse the altar contaminated by the sins of the people at Passover? It was again by the sprinkled blood. Yes, and in the New Testament, how does God deal with our sins? 1 John 1 says that the blood of Jesus, His Son, cleanses us from all sin. And Peter relates that we've been sprinkled. Sprinkled, he says, not with water, but we've been sprinkled with His blood. You see, it's the blood of Christ. That's the agent, the means, and the medium of our cleansing. It purifies us. It enables us to live in covenant with God again. And that's why it's called the blood of the covenant. Well, truly, beloved, how thankful we should be That we have a Savior who not only knows our needs intimately, but a Savior who is also willing to rise up to meet all of those needs that we have. That He's so concerned about the filth of our hearts and our souls that He's willing to shed His very own blood for us. He wants to make us clean again so that He can live in fellowship and union with us. But then, beloved, if it's the blood of Jesus Christ that cleanses us from all our sins, how do we, how do we stay clean? 
In other words, to put it in very blunt terms, what is it that prevents us from living like pigs? I think we all know something about pigs, right? Besides the fact that we we eat them. Perhaps you know something about the fact that a pig loves to wallow in the mud or in the mire. I'm sure if you were a farmer and you were to take all your pigs and put them in your moving van and bring them to a car wash and have them cleaned and scrubbed and then back, back to the yard, it wouldn't take very long. And all those pigs would be back in the mud again. And in a way, it's not much different from us. What's to prevent us from doing the same? Well, you notice the catechism, according to the Scriptures, has an answer as well, and the answer is called the Holy Spirit. The answer is in both His person as well as in His work. The third person of the triune God is not only that other counselor, He is also the great purifier of God's people. In that capacity, he's closely linked to our baptism. Think back to the start of his ministry and how Jesus is both baptized with the Holy Spirit and is presented by John as someone who will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. He's both recipient and dispenser. And as well in the writings of Paul and Peter, There is over and over again this emphasis between baptism and the Holy Spirit. It is the Holy Spirit who comes to us in baptism and who unites us to Christ. And it is the Spirit who keeps us in Christ. He's the one who establishes and maintains the bond between us. That's why we read from Romans 8, the verses 9 to 10, but you are not in the flesh, you are in the Spirit. Since the Spirit of of Christ, of the Lord, dwells in you, anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to Him. But if Christ is in you, though the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. And so you can say, beloved, that the spirit of baptism makes and keeps our union with Christ a reality. Yes, he keeps it. In Ephesians 5, verse 18, we have those well-known words, be filled with the Spirit, and there are a lot of people who think that that refers to a a one-time infusion or filling up of the Spirit. You get one shot. That's it. But that's not what the original text says. The original text refers to a repeated filling up. The idea is the Spirit does not just fill us once. No, He does it time and time and time again. Quite simply, His work is ongoing. It doesn't stop. 
It doesn't stop when it comes to binding and uniting us to Christ. And neither does it ever stop or does He ever stop when it comes to cleansing, renewing, restoring, remaking us after the image of Christ. The Spirit keeps on working so that, as the Catechism says, that more and more we become dead to sin and lead a holy and blameless life. The Spirit's aim is to clean us up and to keep us clean as members of Christ. But of course, beloved, that doesn't happen overnight. And neither does it happen because of a special infusion of the Spirit called by some baptism in the Holy Spirit. There are those in the Christian, the broader Christian community who state that really there are two baptisms necessary in the Christian life. You need to be baptized as an infant or as an adult. But that alone's not enough. No, you also need to hope for, pray for, hunger for, long for a second baptism later on in life that will be accompanied by miraculous signs of miracles and tongues. And only when you've had that second baptism can you know that you are the real McCoy. Or the genuine article. But beloved, that is not what the scriptures teach us. It doesn't teach us a twofold baptism. The first being kind of preliminary and the second one being final, or the first one being kind of inferior and the second one being rather superior. That's a distortion of the reading of Acts chapter 8. No, beloved, there's one baptism. There's one baptism through which the Spirit works and through which the Spirit keeps on working in us and purifying us. And perhaps an illustration may help here. Think of love. In a marriage, that love comes to a particular expression on the day that the bride and the bridegroom exchange their vows before many witnesses. And at such a time, it shines brightly. But what happens after the wedding? Does that love stop working? Does it go into remission? In some cases it does, sadly. But that's not the way it's supposed to be. No, those vows of love and of marriage and of unity are supposed to grow and to deepen and to blossom and to bear fruit. Well, so it is with the Holy Spirit. He comes to you at your baptism, but he doesn't stop there. No, he longs for your union with Christ Jesus to move on, to go forward, to take flight. 
He wants it to become more and more real to you. And an ever-increasing source of joy for you. And one of the ways in which he accomplishes this is by scrubbing and scrubbing and more scrubbing. The Spirit makes you clean. And he keeps you clean. And one day, the Spirit will make you sparkle. The Apostle Paul caught a glimpse of that already when he, he looked at the Philippian Christians. He says about them in Philippians 2.15 that they sparkle like stars in the universe. The Holy Spirit has been cleansing and polishing their lives and their souls. And so, beloved, there is much here to be thankful for and to stand in awe of. Yes, and in our thankfulness and awe, there are two things that we're always supposed to hang on to when it comes to our baptismal washing. The first thing is that in thankfulness we need to realize this is a gift. What God offers you and I in our baptism is pure gift. You cannot earn it. You do not deserve it. You can't afford it. Or rather, you can't afford to pay for it. Or even if you could, you couldn't buy it. As a matter of fact, the only things that we contribute to the whole process are our dirty hands and our guilty hearts. Nevertheless, God comes to us in the sacrament of baptism and He pronounces, you are clean. I've washed you, forgiven you, cleansed you. The blood of my Son has paid your ransom and it's purified your hearts. Here's a gift, beloved, pure, unmerited, undeserved gift. And what are you supposed to do with a gift, especially a priceless one? You're supposed to receive it. And I would add, you should respond to it in a spirit of appreciation and devotion and service. Isn't that what the psalmist teaches us in Psalm 116? He asks, what should I render to my Savior now for all the riches of His consolation. And he answers with joy, I'll take the cup of His salvation and I'll call upon His name and thankful vow. This is all gift, beloved. But it's also something else. And you shouldn't forget that either. It's all promise, too. In a previous sermon on these Lord's Days, I alerted you to the fact that the word promise comes up here a number of times. For example, question and answer 71 reads, Where has Christ promised that He will wash us with His blood and Spirit as surely as we are washed with the water of baptism? And the answer is, this promise is repeated where baptism calls, or scripture calls baptism, the washing of regeneration. 
and the washing away of sins. So what's the promise of baptism? The promise is that God will come to you and He will wash you. And He will make you clean. Clean on the inside. Totally clean. He will purify you. And you need not doubt that. You shouldn't question it. No, this is what God promises that He will do. So what does that mean? Doesn't mean I have God's promise, so now it doesn't matter how I live or what I believe. Doesn't mean, yes, now I have my ticket to heaven. And now no one and nothing can take away from me this ticket. And whether I go back to my sinful, old, and disobedient lifestyle, it makes no difference. I have my voucher. So does my baptism ever allow me to take an approach of presumption and arrogance and haughtiness? Does it allow me to go back to sin? No, it doesn't. The matter of fact is that this promise, just like the gift, comes to us by faith. Indeed, it only functions as a promise when it is embraced by faith. Without faith, the promise is void. But beloved, with faith, the promise is always, always there. Is there no matter what? Sometimes the children of God sin seriously and they fall deeply. Think of King David, King Manasseh. Think of the thief on the cross beside the Lord Jesus. Think of the prodigal son. How far we can fall. And yet our baptism means that there's always a way back. Repent of your sin. Turn back to God. Call on Him anew. And a warm welcome always awaits. And in the case of the prodigal son, so does a bath and a new wardrobe. You see, thanks to God's grace and mercy in Christ, there is this promise of lifelong washing. Yes, the promise stands forever through faith. It stands. Amen. This has been a sermon from the Langley Canadian Reformed Church. For more information, please visit us on the web at www.langleycanrc.org.